Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Pankaj Prasad. He handles business development at Double Dutch. Um, Pankaj, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So uh, we're actually on a WebEx here. Um, so if the audio sounds a little different, uh, that's why. And uh, Pankaj is going to take us through um, a demo. He's got a deck up on the screen. And uh, we'll see, I don't know, Pankaj, can we share this deck with listeners? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So what we'll do then is we'll have a slide share embed on the blog so you can actually follow along the deck if you like. And uh, Pankaj, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Eric. So um, as, as Eric mentioned, uh, my name is Pankaj Prasad, and I run business development for Double Dutch. And so um, let me give you a little bit of background on the company. So Double Dutch was sort of born out of what we saw as a macro trend, which was this mobile inflection. Um, as we look at work and as we look at how people are sort of interacting with the Internet, um, I think that it's pretty clear that smartphones and, and eventually tablets um, are going to be the primary driver of how people connect to the Internet. And we're already seeing that smartphones and tablets are now outselling desktop PCs and notebooks. And so... Um, what, what this really allows us to do from a uh, software perspective or development perspective is have software for the first time on someone all the time as opposed to when they're just sitting at their desk. And there's some really, really interesting things that happen when um, this is in fact the case. Because what works on a PC doesn't work on a smartphone. And if you think about how to build software for a uh, mobile in the same way you do it for a PC, then your, your uh, objectives aren't going to come through. So um, what Double Dutch as a company did was we kind of looked at the mobile phone and really um, thought through how a user uses that and um, have built some really cool applications on it. So what our, what our company does is we've built a platform that really allows brands, communities, um, to launch their own geo-social apps. So if you think about a phone, a, a smartphone, really the genesis of why people carried that was to connect to other people. Um, you know, for the longest time, it was to make a phone call to, to actually talk one-on-one -on -one with another person. Um, just about five years ago when data was added and then Apple came out with this, with this great smartphone that started to get wide adoption, um, we believe that it's still about connecting people, and that's why... Um, Facebook is one of the most downloaded apps, and people access Twitter from their phones. And so what we did as a company was we sort of took all of these social aspects, and we call them like social gestures that people are using their phones for, and brought it into a platform that allows any company, any brand, any community um, to build their own. And we've gotten quite a bit of uh, success um, in doing this with large companies as well as successful communities like TED and Cisco and um, some other large companies. But what we think is really important here is, is that because it's the people connecting with that, people connecting with people 
within that community, there's um, um, this, there, the connection's already there, and the software just enables them um, to sort of further that along. And so what the platform allows us to do, or allows companies to do, is um, completely brand the actual app. So it's your logo, your colors, your graphics. Um, and then if you, can, if you look at the um, icons here on the right-hand side, side, we call those micro-apps. And so each of those micro-apps is also customizable. You can use your own graphics for those. Um, and we sort of have a library of functionality that you can pick and choose um, what's important to your um, uh, what's important to your community as they use this app. And then the other thing that we've sort of built into this is this whole concept of gamification, where as you do things, you get rewarded. So if you're familiar with um, some of the things that Foursquare, Goala are doing, where um, if you check into a certain place, you earn a badge, um, we have that entire capability in our platform as well so that you can really incentivize behavior. And we think that this is really interesting um, in, in the workspace, um, even more so than in the social space. So if you look at our platform, it's really taking the best of Facebook, the best of Foursquare, the best of Twitter, all of these social tools, and sort of bringing it into a closed platform for a community. And this allows it to be focused. This allows it to be relevant to a certain topic. And this allows it to, um, people to come in and to be more vocal about one particular thing as opposed to very general about everything. Um, one of the things that we've noticed with Facebook, at least, is, is when your friends are 200 people um, of everyone you know, you know, kids you went to grade school with, um, directors of former companies you worked for, your grandma, your cousin in another country, you're very sheepish about what, you, what information you put out there. If you sort of concentrate all of... Um, those connections around a particular interest or community or work, then the people that you're connected with there um, also share that, and you can be m far more vocal about something way more relevant to that particular community. And so we found that, like, for example, someone that would never post something on Facebook um, posts almost hourly on our platform because it's much more contextually relevant, if that makes sense. It does. It does indeed. And so um, when we talk about micro-apps, one of the things with our platform is, is um, in, in events, events are, just, events are just a brilliant use case um, for networking and, and social connections around an interest. You think about when, event, when, you mean, when you say events, you mean, you know, actual events where people congregate. Exactly. Like, like a, a trade event or a consumer event, some sort of happening. Yeah, you know, where any time... You know, any number of people, whether it's 50 people or 5,000 or 50,000 people, go to one place um, for a particular topic, and that could be the Consumer Electronics Show or um, the Worldwide Developer Conference that Apple throws. Um, it's, a, it's a particular interest that they congregate around. Um, there's a lot of, like, social things that happen that, um, you know, an app is perfectly suited for. And so, like, for example, I've been to thousands of conventions through my professional career. And the thing is, is you sort of make these convention friends while you're there. They're people you hang out with, they're people you see in the sessions. Um, and you're sort of on the same, like, professional trajectory. And you don't necessarily want to add them to Foursquare or Facebook because those are more social or personal. 
but you do still want to connect with them because they're they're sort of like uh, in the same boat as you. So what an app like this allows you to do is sort of create this temporary connection with that person around that interest, which is that dimension. And then if, uh, in fact, like it leads to um, a much lo- a more longer-term uh, connection, you can add them on LinkedIn or, or whatever. But it really gives like a people guide to a convention, which I think has been you know, sort of missed in, 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 uh, in that space for quite some time. Anytime you have like over you know, a thousand people at a particular place, it's almost impossible um, to know who's there and know what's going on at any given time. And that's really what our platform sort of enables. So what we've, what we've done with this particular platform is we've, we've sort of come at it from two different places or two different angles. One is, is we've taken all of the content that is typically provided to attendees of a conference, for example, um, in a paper guide and sort of ported over to a dynamic um, app. And what, what I mean by this is, is like, for example, your schedule. You can now see your schedule on your mobile phone. Um, you can uh, add that schedule to your calendar. You can see what sessions are available. Um, and there's a number of really cool things that you can do on a phone that you can't do on a paper guide. So, for example, if it's 11 a.m. and you want to see what sessions are starting um, now, you can basically just see the sessions that are starting at that time. They're sorted by um, the time that it is then. They're also sorted by where you are, or they can be sorted by where you are, so you can see sessions that are starting around you. You can also um, search for a particular person, so if there's like a um, professional person you want to connect with and you want to see what session they're at, if they have chosen to um, broadcast that, you can see what session they're at. Um, so there's like, it takes a, sort of the paper guide, which provides some information, and brings it to the year 2011, where um, it's, it's more than just accessing information, it's sort of accessing, accessing that information in real time with um, the people uh, piece of that. And that's sort of the other angle we've taken. Because we believe the mobile phone is a social device, um, those social connections where it's checking in and seeing where other people are in an activity feed of knowing what's going on are um, prominent throughout our entire app because we believe that it's people that drives other people um, to do things and not necessarily just information. Um, so as I mentioned, we have this activity feed that's, that's within the app where it's literally, it can be organized um, sort of to the specifications of what the event organizer is looking for. So for example, if they want to have an event feed for all of the people of one particular um, category, and if that category is like a technical specification or like um, a type of doctor at a, at a medical convention, then they can have an activity feed for that. Or they can have like a global activity feed where it's just um, everyone that's checking in. And, and what, just, just uh, to clarify for listeners, um, when you say activity feed, you mean like a news feed, almost like the type of news feed you'd see in Facebook but having that on your phone. I'm looking here at a slide and I see a screenshot uh, from an iPhone and it shows someone sharing and there's an opportunity to comment and an opportunity to like. And um, and then why, how did that one, why is HP conference room number three clickable? What's going on there? So uh, let me, uh, before I get to why that's clickable, um, let me, let me talk a little bit about why we think the activity fee is so important. So okay. 
we sort of studied how people use mobile phones over the past year or so, and we found this um, pretty interesting pattern um, sort of universally across all these different demographics. And the way we've uh, had the ability to do this is, um, you know, we've done, our company has done apps for hip-hop artists. We've done apps for, um, like, um, um, a group of moms on Twitter. We've done apps for large corporations. We've done apps for universities. And almost universally, universally, as we've um, sort of discovered how these, how these different demographics use apps, it's always in idle moments what people will do is they'll check their email and then they'll go to like Facebook and they'll check their Facebook if they're on Facebook, the activity feed there. And then they'll check like Twitter, if they're on Twitter. Um, and then if, if they're male, they may check some uh, sports feed and if they're female, they may check some other like news site. But that's, that's generally the flow of how people use their phone in an idle moment. It's after email, Facebook, and Twitter, if they're on Twitter, they may go to a game, news, or some other interest. And so <clears throat> what, we, what we thought about was Facebook um, sort of gives you information about all of your social connections um, sort of in the world. And it's not really relevant ever to what you're doing at that particular time. If we could give you social connections or social activity or news of people that are around you um, at that given time, then what we'll... The, what we find is, is that people will check that feed before they actually check Facebook because it's far more relevant. Um, and so that's, that's sort of the genesis of this activity feed. It's worked quite brilliantly um, at events and in, in these other use cases. So getting back to your question of why HP conference room number three is click click clickable, um, it's actually twofold. One is, is that this, this HP conference room is a venue. Uh, or it's, it's, an, it's a, um, something that people can check into. And so when you click on that, you can actually get the history of who's checked into that. You can get information about it. So if there's a, an address associated with it or a description or um, really any text that you want to associate with that, you can do that as well. And then um, there's also um, sort of like a, a rating system if you'd like. So if, for example, this was a session, um, you could associate like a five-star rating with it and uh, leave comments about what you thought about it. Um, in addition to that, any pictures that are taken by users and um, uh, sort of appended via the check-in are also shown uh, on that click of a link. Okay. Question? Yeah, no, that's, that's really useful. So now if I'm at an event and I'm using uh, the app, I could see who's at a certain event, like say there were breakouts, six different breakouts, and I could I could sort of tap on, assuming that each session in each different room had been set up by the conference organizer as a venue, then I could just tap on the name of the session and see who was attending? Exactly, yes. And, and that information, um, like who is attending, is sort of, who chooses to broadcast that? So we take the we take privacy and like how people want to broadcast their location very seriously. So this is sort of an opt-in as opposed to automated. Got it. Um, but question though, if the event organizer has not taken the time to set up a different an area at a conference uh, on on the places function, can can the community register a place? Yeah, great question. Um, so, there's, so decoupling that a little bit, one of the reasons that um, 
event organizers haven't gone through um, sort of the process of creating all of these different venues at a at a event is from what we've learned it's really hard to do on existing platforms that are out there today. So one of the things that we've specifically done in our um, platform is made it really easy. So you have full, uh, as an event organizer that's using our platform, you have the ability to sort of take every single one of your venues and upload them via a, a web dashboard that we provide. Um, if you have a spreadsheet of those, you can do it via a spreadsheet, or if you want to do it, um, via our form, you could do it that way, but it's very easy to do, and then it sort of populates across all of the different iPhone apps that we have. Um, now, if, if that's something that most event organizers already have this information, so we've tried to do the, the upload so that they can take an existing spreadsheet and just upload it. Um, if that isn't something that they have or something that they don't want to do, then as you said, absolutely, the community can just create those. But the thing is, you know, when you go to these conferences, like professional in the B2B world, you know, you'll have a series of different rooms. The rooms usually have a name that is given by the venue, you know, uh -huh. the, the Newport room, whatever. And then over the course of the day, you'll have different sessions in that room. So would you set up the, the room or would you set up the name of the session? How would you do that? Yeah, so it, it's a great question. Um, what we recommend is you actually set set up the session so that it's the name of the session, and then it can actually be associated with that rule. So today, if you look at like most platforms for um, mobile apps in terms of like checking in, um, they're always tied to a geographic place, which makes it, as you've alluded to, very difficult to have multiple check-ins at the same place. Um, and so what we've done in our platform is, is you can literally create um, a check-in for just about anything. It doesn't have to be tied to a particular place. And so you can create a check-in for um, a session. You can create a check-in for a person. You can create a check-in for a theme. Um, you can literally create uh, a check-in or a place where people can congregate around any object that you want. If you want to associate that object to a place, you can do that, but you don't necessarily have to. And there's advantages to assisting them with the place, and then there's advantages to not. Um, and I think that based on your event and the number of things that you, number of things you have going on the event, going on at the event, um, we could sort of help you decide which things should be tied to place and which things, which things shouldn't. Um, if you look at like existing platforms or um, you know creating uh, mobile. Um, engagement, typically there's like half a dozen, if there's that many, check-in points. Um, our typical conference um, will have, you know, over 50, over 60 check-in points because they'll have all the sessions in there and they're not all tied to place. Now, let's say, for example, I'm holding a, some sort of a training event for an enterprise and I want to encourage people to t attend as many sessions as possible and maybe, you know, whoever checks in at the most sessions, um, well, they're going to win badges, and then they'll be on the leaderboard in your app, but maybe I'll give them some other things, they'll win a prize or something. How do I ensure check-in accuracy? Because let's say, for example, I'm in a venue, the Newport room is right next to the breakers room, and I would imagine the GPS 
in the phone is not necessarily going to be accurate enough to ensure, based on that proximity information, which one they're in. I imagine you could just go to the bar and check into all the different sessions. How would you somehow you know, protect against that? Yeah, great question. And so this is something that we've, um, we have quite a bit of history with because of all of the different events we've gone to. I'll tell you what, at every single event we've done, we've gotten at least three or four people who have gone through and checked into every single thing that's possible in the quickest fashion um, available. I mean, they'll literally check into, you know, 500 things over the course of an hour. And what we've tried to do is we've tried to create ways um, to, to minimize that, but there's sort of this fine line we have to, um, we have to hold, which is you want to make it easy enough for the, for the general user so that it's not like, you know, they have to be standing in a, a very, very concise place to be able to check in um, and you, without making it, like, so easy that anyone can check into a thousand different places. So what we sort of um, tell our customers or our clients is, is that you're always going to have some level of cheaters, but the thing is is that they're going to be cheating so much that it'll be very obvious who they are. Now, in terms of how we, um, we sort of authenticate or make sure people are there, there are limitations to how many times you can check in in a particular uh, time frame. We can sort of customize those. Um, but we also make, you know, uh, we've also taken some innovative um, ways of, of making sure people are there. So, for example, if you're at a particular session and you want to check into that and you want to verify that that person is there, you can make use of the QR code. And so the only way for that person to check in is to actually use the QR code um, reader that's embedded within our app um, to, to verify that they are, in fact, in this room. When we come back, we are going to talk about how Cisco used the Double Dutch app for their events and did what I thought was a remarkable job. Uh, We're also going to give you a link where you can download that app for iPhone and play with it if you like. Uh, But first, I want to talk to you about a training opportunity uh, coming down the pike for the end of June, uh, beginning of July. Um, It is a hands-on social media training. Uh, As many of you know, uh, I believe that the war against digital illiteracy will not be won through keynotes or panel sessions. What's required is hands-on training. Uh, You can bring your laptop to our computer training facility, you can log on to our broadband connection, and you can get digitally fluent and social media savvy through practical experience. Uh, You can follow a number of step-by-step instructions with a small group of serious professionals and develop the applied social media skills you need to win. You can ask as many questions as you like in a safe environment, and you can get answers. Uh, The course is taught by me. Uh, I have trained Boeing, City National Bank, Environmental Defense Fund, Johnson & Johnson, the Government of Singapore, Toyota, U.S. Department of State, United States Marine Corps, and hundreds of other small and medium-sized businesses that you may never have heard of. Um, So if your social marketing efforts aren't working, it's probably not because social media doesn't work. It's because you or your staff don't know how to work it. So invest in your future, invest in yourself, and join us at the Hands-On Social Media Training in Los Angeles. It's going to be June 30th and July 1st, 2011, and you can sign up at 
www.socialmediabootcamp.com. Again, that's a hands-on social media training, small group, bring your computer, log on, and uh, actually learn to use social media effectively. Uh, June 30th, July 1st, 2011, in Los Angeles, and you can sign up at www.socialmediabootcamp.com. Back to the show. And just so it's clear, because, you know, a lot of people may be listening now not looking at the deck. When I load, say, you know, the Cisco Events app that was built on top of your platform, and I go to the main screen, I get all these little icons. Each icon is a different function, and you call those, like, micro-apps, right? So, like, I have one that's a QR code reader, one that shows the leaderboard, one that's uh, for check-ins, one that's for badges, one that's for profile, one that's for contacts one that shows me what they call the network feed. Then there's Cisco events, so you can see the schedule. There's live video, there's settings, um, guidelines, Cisco community. And and you had told me, right, there's some flexibility. Like, I can look at the different micro apps that are available in the Double Dutch platform and decide. Like, I could say, we're not going to do live video, but we do want the QR code reader, and we want the contacts, and we want the network feed, right? And that's the way it works. Am I right? Absolutely, absolutely. We, you know, um, as a company, we, we want to provide a platform to um, event organizers or, or sort of um, leaders of this community because they know their attendees better than, I think, you know, better than we do. And so they can sort of dictate what they think are the important functions and how they integrate into their overall marketing or um, engagement campaigns at that event. Now, I'm going to ask you a, 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 a somewhat difficult question, so you answer as you see fit. Sure. But I, what led me to you was actually downloading the Cisco Events app. And I have to say, I was really blown away with it. It was the best, it's the best uh, app I've seen yet to um, extend the uh, excitement uh, and engagement at a B2B event via mobile. Um, when you look at, and, and anyone can download this, we'll have a link in the show notes, but it's called Cisco Events. And if you have an iPhone or a Droid, you can download it and play with it. Um, but based on your experience at this company and your experience with mobile, you know, how would you rank the Cisco Events app? Do you, you feel like you know, they made use of the best features or the other things you would have liked to have seen them done? Um, is there an, an area that you were, you know, less fulfilled with? I mean... Can you sort of critique yourself here on this app? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, I think that when we when we look at the Cisco Events app, I just I, I have to start off by saying that um, they've really been thought leaders in the space, and that you know they sort of went down this journey with us um, to provide a mobile app to all of their um, conferences, all the conferences that they cover. I think back in, in September of last year, well before it was. Um, somewhat mainstream to consider using an app for all of this. Um, so, you know, they've, they've definitely been thought leaders in terms of um, the use of this type of technology. In terms of actually using the app um, in, in, in a critique of it, I think there's two things. Um, one is, is because Cisco is using the Cisco Events app, is using this app for every single one of the events they go to, which they aren't necessarily putting on themselves, some of the information um, in the app is diluted versus what if they were putting on in, uh, if it was their own event. So let me let me give you an example. Another one of our clients um, didn't did an app 
for a summit that was all of their customers. It was this company's um, uh, show. And in that app, they had every single session that was there. They had every single um, sponsor that was there, every partner that was there, every speaker that was there. And so it was a very comprehensive um, information place, as well as sort of this social, um, you know, guide or people guide where you could see where everyone else at this conference, what they were doing, where they were going. I think that was the maximum, that got the maximum use of the functionality of the app. Now, because Cisco is using their app as a um, sort of a customer um, passport to all of the different events that they go to or they, they are um, a part of through the year, they don't have the ability to have that comprehensive um, use of the functionality, so they have sort of a subset of it. But I think that um, given that they're using it as a passport, what they're, allowed, what they're um, using it to do is sort of build this community of people that go to all of these different events, and I think that it's um, been pretty successful in doing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually thought when I looked at the fact, you know, you, you go to the home screen, and then there's one icon that says Cisco Events, and if you tap on that, you see, you know, all the different events. And I'm looking at it now, Cisco Networkers Solutions Forum, Social Media Summit, which was a Reagan event that they spoke at, Cisco at EMC World, Cisco at Interop, Cisco Expo, Cisco at Sapphire. And when I looked at that, I thought to myself, wow, this is great because from a user standpoint, I'm probably going to be less inclined to download an app for a one-time use than I would an app that has, you know, ongoing, uh, ongoing value to me. You know, for the same reason that, you know, a movie theater better bring in a new movie once in a while or I'm never going back, right? It's not a one-trick pony. So what's your thought on that? I mean, do you think it makes sense to build apps, at, you know, as a one-time deal for an event? I mean, do you see, have you seen in the past um, adoption, you know, on a large scale at events, and then people just dump the app afterwards? Um, yeah, so I, I think that when you think about, um, so, so for example, I think most large um, corporations, we found this with large corporations, is have this unbelievable community of employees. Some of these companies have over 10,000 or 100,000 employees, um, and then they have partners that actually work on the periphery with the company. They're not necessarily um, salaried employees, but they're bought into that company's vision just as much as their employees. And then they have customers. And when you add all of, all of those people up together, um, you know, depending on the company, it could be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. And connecting that community via mobile app always works. I mean, there's always a use case for that. Um, tying them together at an event or with events or a series of events, <clears throat> excuse me, that happen over the course of the year is a brilliant way of doing it, but there are others. So that's sort of what Cisco has done with that. Um, so what you're suggesting is that, you know, they would download it at the event, but that the app would continue to be useful beyond the event because it connects them with a certain community. Exactly. So an event is an unbelievable launch pad or sort of tying your community together. Because everyone's in a single place, um, everyone's sort of doing the same things, everyone wants to be social, you know, like, um, let's face it, when you go to a convention, part of your job, or part of the reason you're being sent there is to network, is to learn, is to make connections, whether they're business deals or partnerships, 
or um, even like great, great connections of like, well, you know, I met this person at this company, maybe they'll be able to help me in the future. Um, and it, it's just a great place to sort of get that, get all of those things going. And then from there on out, if the onus is sort of on the uh, event organizer to keep that community going and the content within the app um, fresh. And so as the event expires, right, um, having the sessions and um, uh, sponsors and partners and speaker lists aren't necessarily relevant anymore. And so what we encourage event organizers to do is sort of flush all of that data out of the app and then start to upload um, new and interesting things. And th those could be like virtual trainings, virtual seminars. They could be regional events. Um, they could be, you know, if it's a uh, product launch, it, it could be like checking to this product launch. It, it literally becomes just another place to keep your community engaged, and you can continue to populate data um, uh, on the back end, on our back end, um, so that it's really fresh information for community you've built within the app. Okay, so Pankaj, when you talk to me, I'm a social media advocate, and I'm all over it, and I see the value, and, you know, I mean, it's like, wow, this is exactly, you know, what the doctor ordered for bringing mobile into events, particularly B2B, which is, you know, an area I specialize in. But, you know, as the biz dev guy, I've got to believe you're out there making a market with people who aren't necessarily early adopters. Uh -huh. So, I mean, are they, do they, and they get it? I mean, and, and what are the stumbling blocks and hurdles that you have to clear to get to the aha moment? Yeah, I mean, so I've, I've been on this path or this journey, so to speak, for um, about a year now, um, sort of on a soapbox evangelizing this. And I'll tell you what, eight months ago, it was a very difficult um, sell. You know, most people were... Uh, I don't get it. I don't see it. Um, you know, we think that the, that this is probably not going to be relevant. Um, and I think that that was largely the sentiment um, across a lot of event organizers was, well, we don't really know if mobile is going to be important to us. I think today in 2011, um, here almost halfway through the year, most event organizers have, have sort of turned the corner of, okay, we need a mobile strategy. If you think about an event and if you... Um, Every single person at most of these professional events or most of these larger conventions has a smartphone. And there's literally no, absolutely no uh, connection back to the event with that smartphone. Um, sometimes there's a, a, an oddly um, put up web page that's hardly relevant and may have an agenda on there. But that's not exactly how people use their smartphones. So today, I think most people are thinking, what is our mobile strategy? So to get back to your question, I think that um, the sell is a lot easier today because most people have are, are thinking about what should be our mobile strategy as opposed to is this really necessary. Um, and then once they decide that they need to do something, I think our platform um, sort of separates itself in that it, it does have this combination of taking your paper guide to digital but also having this really, really social element of it. Um, which sort of borrows from um, social marketing as well as just having a paper guide. So there's, it, it sort of covers, um, knock two birds out with one stone. So on the B2B side, uh, there are a number of different organization types that organize conferences and, and trade shows and events. 
And I can think of four, right? I can think of the enterprise that organizes an event either for their partners or to train their people. Um, I can think of um, event organizers that may be an offshoot of a trade publication that uh, are in the business to generate revenue. Um, I can think of associations, trade associations, uh, that operate uh, these types of events, many of which are nonprofit, but they're doing it to provide value to their trade. And then last but not least, you've got the membership societies, where you know the members take seats on the board uh, over the course of the year. You know, they may not have as much business acumen as someone in the enterprise, um, and those two are nonprofit, and they're sort of you know guiding these annual events for their membership society. Um, so when you look across, first of all, are you sort of selling to all four? Is there anyone I missed? Um, no, I, I think you've, you've covered all of them. And yes, we are actively selling to all four. We've closed um, sort of business with three of the four. Um, the association, the board association one, has, um, hasn't been as forward-thinking um, right. as... Uh, which would, which would be my, uh, you know, that's what I would expect. I would expect that, you know, the people on the board may be older and uh, not as engaged. And so how do you sell the value of an app like this to someone who has never checked in, who has never, you know, who doesn't own a smartphone? Yeah, and that, so, so that, that becomes pretty difficult. Like when, if, if for example, um, the, the stakeholder has not, doesn't own a, um, a smartphone, then seeing the value of something like this is a pretty tough sell. But there's always someone within the organization that has a smartphone, and, is, is, and if you can find that person, um, the person that tweets for that association, the person that tweets for that company, um, then that's the right person to sort of talk to. But you're a um, biz dev guy. Your time is very valuable. You guys just raised money, and you've got certain targets you've got to meet. So given that, uh, you know, it's going to be a tougher sell uh, to the trade association and the membership society, I mean, are you focused on any one audience at this point you think is going to be more readily able to take advantage of what you have to offer? I think it's a, I think it's a great question, Eric. And um, in terms of focusing, yes, we do need to focus on, um, on, market, on markets that are ready. And... I think that um, enterprises today are are certainly more apt to do this than, for example, an association. But that isn't to say that we aren't um, uh, looking at them. I'll tell you what: most association, I'm sorry, most um, events, aside from like you know large enterprises or large um, um, sort of one-off events, are run through major um, events companies, and so. Those companies are uh, actively looking at uh, mobile uh, strategy today um, because we're, we're speaking to a number of them. And I think that they're sort of going to carry the gauntlet. Once they decide that they need to do something, these companies that run hundreds of events, um, once they decide um, they need to do something, I think that we'll see this become far more mainstream. And you're talking like the prime medias and you know these huge publishers of trade publications that also have all these trade theirs. Exactly. Exactly. As far as I know, 
um, and I could be mistaken, I don't think any one of them has sort of taken a direction, put a stake in the ground, and is moving forward with it um, exclusively. I know that a number of them are dabbling, and um, I think that's a good thing. I think figuring out what the right mix is for the community, for that particular community, is important. Um, we would like to think that our platform is, is the most sensible in terms of you know, choosing which apps are right, the customization, the branding, the data. But um, you know, it's once one of these large companies, um, and, or, or all of these large companies that throw hundreds of events decide, I think that's when the market sort of becomes flooded. So what if you had a customer come to you and say, hey, I don't really have much buy-in at the executive level. But I feel like if we could just, you know, get something up and running for not too expensive, that it would prove itself and that next year we could get the buy-in. Does that guy scare you or is that an opportunity? No, not at all. That guy, that guy is exciting to us um, because we do think that usage of the app is ultimately what drives large engagement. Um, and so it's, it, it's when... Um, yeah, you know, if, if someone is willing to go through and um, sort of create the branding and, and, and be the champion for the app, then as a company, we do whatever we can to make sure that they are, um, they are successful. It's important to us. But I would think that, you know, if it was anything less than a, a 100% commitment from a conference organizer that, you know, it would peter out. I mean, because ultimately... Right, you need to be able to feed this thing with content and information, and you need to somehow get people to actually download it. So, how do you do that without having buy-in at all levels? Um, I think that if there's so having the event organizer be on board is pretty important because ultimately they will be the ones that can open doors for the uh, for the app downloading. And what I mean by that is, is that, um, you know, just because you put an app out there, and this, is, this may be a um, somewhat of a controversial statement or, or maybe it's uh, um, taking head on what a common perception is, is just because you put an app out there doesn't mean you're going to get 100,000 downloads um, in the first week and it's going to be a raging success. As, in, as is the case with all other social media and as is the case with all building of communities, um, it takes time, and it takes a continued marketing effort um, sort of to, to get adoption. Once you get adoption on a uh, mobile um, phone, understand that you are now in the pocket of someone almost 20 hours a day, and that's a very powerful thing. And it's a thing of privilege. Um, but to do that, to sort of get that initial uh, adoption, there's a couple of things that um, are almost, uh, almost uh, guarantee that success. And one of them is um, the event organizers buy-in which would then um, allow you to get signage within the event, sort of like check-in here, but also to get um, announcements within, within the conference or throughout the conference. So if, for example, um, in between sessions they say, make sure you check in, or if um, before an executive gets on and everyone's congregated in a, in a main room, they say, check out the app, or if one of the um, MCs continually refers to the app. Those are sort of the things that get people to download the app, start to use it. Um, and without those, what you may see is, is a small trickle of people using it, but not necessarily a more um, widespread adoption. So, so what if I said to you, Ankaj, I want to do this 
but I'm going to need to be able to prove a return on investment. What type of data would you, you know, point me to that would be able to demonstrate a return? Like, how would you measure the return of a mobile app at an event? Um, I think, you know, ROIs have certainly come up with, uh, with our customers before. And um, a return on investment is somewhat, in a, well, it's an interesting thing because it all depends on how you measure it. If, for example, um, you were to t- say, okay, we are going to take all of our information and we are going to put it into this mobile app and it's going to be across all these different platforms. So we have full platform coverage for anyone that has a phone. Um, and we're going to eliminate um, the paper guide. Then there's an ROI there, right? Um, if the paper guide costs X and we're um, below that, then there's a cost savings there. And you have a paper guide that sort of lives um, throughout the entire year and doesn't just go away. So that's one way of measuring an ROI. If another so you're saying way, that, um, that an organization would use this instead of a paper guide. They wouldn't even produce a paper guide. Uh, exactly, or they would, or they would produce a significantly um, reduced number of paper guides um, because they have this mobile app. But the money in the paper guide is not quantity; it's just getting on the press. Um, you'd be, uh, from what we've heard from some of our event organizers, there's substantial budget allocated to this paper um, that's sort of put out um, throughout the course of the conference. Okay. Um, so, but I mean, that's just that's one element of an ROI. Um, another element is, is uh, engagement and how that's measured. So, for example, if it's important for a company to make sure that while they're at their event or while people are at their event, they're tweeting and, and posting to Facebook and sort of um, driving digital engagement um, of the event, then we do a great job of that. So, for example, one of our events, um, we increased the number of tweets about that event by a factor of like 40% because people who normally wouldn't tweet about the event are, are checking in and pushing those out because they want people to know that they're at this particular session. So um, I know ROIs and, and sort of marketing um, are hard to quantify, but if having more tweets or more digital presence of your event is an important uh, metric for you, then we can show substantial growth um, of that on, on different platforms, whether they be Facebook or Twitter. Is there an upsell to exhibitors or to sponsors? Like, yeah, great. Because I would think, like, if you were a member society or a trade association, really the only way you're going to pull this off is if you can get sponsorship dollars. Yeah. So, you know, initially when we went down this path, we thought that that was it. We thought that... that um, event organizers could sort of use the mobile app presence as a way of selling back to their sponsors. And there's okay. a number of very cool ways of doing that. You can have, like, um, in the sponsor guide, within the app, you can have, like, the logo, and you can have information. You can even embed, like, um, special, like, white papers or videos. Um, there's a lot of, like, great content you can put within the app to sort of represent sponsors. Um, and in addition to that, like, you can have this, these badges. So, for example, if um, a company wants you to go to session A that, you know, their VP is speaking at in session C, that their product manager is speaking at in session F, where their marketing uh, officer is speaking at, then you earn, like, the, the company X badge that you could bring back to their 
um, uh, booth and, and earn, you know, whatever swag they're giving away. And that's, a, that's real engagement. They've gone through three different sessions for you, and they've earned their badge. Now they're at your, um, now they're at your uh, booth. That's almost like a, a qualified lead. Um, uh, but, you know, to be perfectly honest, that's been uh, uh, a little bit more difficult to, to get event organizers uh, wrap their heads around. Why? You think because they're having such a hard time selling sponsorships, the existing sponsorships, that when it comes to getting a sponsor for the live stream or the app, it's like, oh, my God, how am I possibly going to spell that? I'm having a hard enough time getting them to, you know, underwrite the, the cocktail hour. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of it. I think the other thing is is that, um, as you might have mentioned, some of these event organizers, some of the, uh, some of the sponsors uh, aren't necessarily as savvy. Okay, so let's stop. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay, so obviously Double Dutch is all over this opportunity. You've got this app. You're out there. But now if, if you think broader across the industry – what other areas are ripe for disruption in the event industry, in the conference organizing industry, as a result of the fact that you've got all these sort of, you know, disengaged, lumbering, you know, organizers out there who don't really get this stuff? I, I think the I think the uh, the number one opportunity that having a platform like Double Dutch in the pockets of your attendees. Is, is that you now have sort of year-round access to them. And I think that that's, a, as I mentioned before, I think that's a privilege that um, if you abuse, like if you sort of message them too often, um, you will lose. But if you sort of take that and um, curate it so that um, you give them like relevant places to touch base with over the course of the year, what you're going to find is you're going to have a really, really engaged attendee, not just at the event, but through the course of the year. And I don't think that's ever been possible before. I, I get it. But let me just ask the same question again. Do you see other opportunities outside of, you know, the opportunity that you're presenting with this mobile app uh, that people can use to, you know, be more relevant in the lives of the people that attend their, their events? I mean, do you see other opportunities out there in the fact that the industry as a whole is really quite slow to come up to speed on them. Um, I mean, are we at a stage right now where there are other opportunities for disruption beyond just your platform? Because, hmm. I mean, you're out there, you're taking the meetings, you're flying around. I mean, right. what, do you, I mean what, what other opportunities are out there? Are you see any? Yeah, I think that... Um, well, okay, so I think that one, uh, one particular place, going back to sort of um, technology, which is what a lot of my conversations revolve around at events, I think one place that is ripe for quite a bit of um, uh, disruption is the whole registration process of a particular event. Um, I think that when people, you know, sort of choose to associate themselves with an event, um, they're asked to give up a lot of information, and those forms in, in that process is very sort of 1998, um, where you add a bunch of stuff, and then you get an email, and then you have to go to a web portal and continue to add information um, about yourself. I think that whole, the whole registration piece um, 
that could be improved upon quite a bit because I think we can all agree that we've done that hundred times and that it just makes sense for it to be something that you can use across multiple different events as opposed to have to enter it new every single time. You know what I mean? You know, I don't know about the rest of the listeners uh, that are that are you know, listening to you talk, but I mean, I, can, I smell something burning. And I'll tell you what, I think Double Dutch is on fire, baby. And I'm excited <laughs> about what you guys are doing. Yeah, we're, um, we're, we're really excited. I mean, we've seen that, we've seen our app work unbelievably well um, in a number of different use cases. And, and we're, we're thrilled with uh, um, all the different opportunities that are coming to us. So now, if people want to get more information, how can they contact? Sure. So the easiest way to get, to get a hold of us is to just send an email to um, info at doubledutch.me. Um, and that will be routed to uh, a number of different people here, and we would be happy, more than happy, um, to jump on a phone or send you information, um, whatever it takes to sort of learn about your mobile objectives um, and see if there isn't a way for us to work together. Pankaj Prasad, head of BizDev at Double Dutch. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.